0: You're listening to the yoga teacher resource podcast, knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. How is your home yoga practice? Is it as consistent as you would like? Hello, yoga teacher. If you struggle with making your home yoga practice a priority among all the other obligations in your life, you're definitely not alone. Maintaining a consistent home practice is one of the most common challenges for yoga teachers around the world. Sometimes the struggle with home practice is veiled in a focus on staying inspired as a teacher or coming up with fresh, exciting sequences. But if you struggle with creativity or you struggle with feeling inspired or burned out, usually that points back to a disconnect either in what you're practicing in your home practice or your consistency in showing up for yourself. This is especially true if you're a newer teacher Your personal practice is essential no matter how long you've been teaching, but if you're brand new to teaching and you're just developing your voice and you're just figuring out who you are as a teacher and what you bring, the laboratory where you figure that out is not the classroom, it's your home practice. And as long as you teach, and I hope you teach for a very long time, your home practice will always be the key to sustainability as a teacher. In this episode, I will share what I mean by home practice, why I think this is such a big challenge for so many, five steps to establish or reestablish the habit, and how to find the practice that's right for you at this stage. The reason this topic's on my mind right now is that I just recently spent the entire summer overseas, and I was moving from place to place, the sole caregiver of a three-year-old, and really struggled to re-establish routines in each new place that I went. I knew that this was going to be a challenge, so I was mentally prepared, and that mental preparation really helped me for the first two-thirds of the summer. We didn't have a lot going on, and so I basically spent two hours every morning, weaving in and out of practice and interacting with my daughter. So sometimes I would incorporate her into the practice, she would practice with me, and sometimes I would pause and read her a book or play with her. Then towards the end of the summer, as location changed again, there were more people in my space, different spaces, and I needed to work around other people's schedules more. At that point, my practice became very inconsistent. And then transitioning back home, I found that, wow, it was more overwhelming than I anticipated just reestablishing a home routine and figuring out like how to catch up on all the things that I had missed while I was gone. So the strategies I'm going to share with you today are the ones that I am currently using right now to reestablish my own practice. The science I'm going to share with you on habit formation comes from three different books, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, Atomic Habits by James Clear, and The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. I will put links to all three of those books in the show notes, and I highly recommend checking them out. Let's begin with exactly what I mean by home practice, because as much as we as yoga teachers talk about a home practice... In my conversations of diving more deeply into this topic with yoga teachers, I've noticed that we tend to have very different ideas about what that should look like, what the purpose is, what the structure should be. So my definition of home practice is very simple. It is a self-care ritual that feeds and informs the classes that you teach. It doesn't have to look exactly like what you teach in class, and it doesn't have to be the exact same thing every day. But it does need to specifically and purposefully feed you, fill your cup, and enable you to show up at your best when you teach. I will say that the newer you are to teaching, the more closely you want your home practice to align with what you teach in your classes. Now, you might teach multiple types of classes, and that means that you'll want to have multiple either sections to your home practice or multiple different ways that you practice on different days. Over time, as you build a lot of teaching experience and home practice time under your belt, then you can focus more on having your practice be something that inspires you and feeds you, and it might not exactly correlate with what you're teaching in the classroom. But that's something that is going to develop over a long period of time. So why do so many yoga teachers struggle with our home practice. I actually believe that the biggest reason is the lack of outside accountability. If you fail to show up for a class that you're scheduled to teach, you're probably going to get fired. You will at least get some kind of talking to, and you'll probably feel shame around a lack of integrity or whatever it is that kept you away, unless it was some huge emergency, right? If you just decide, ah, I don't feel like it today, that's not going to work out for the long term. You're not going to be teaching very long. But with your home practice, nobody really knows whether or not you've shown up for it. And your brain, our all of our brains are really, really good at justifying and making excuses that would never hold water if we tried them on another human. I also think that there may be a part of us that believes that we don't really need home practice in order to be an excellent yoga teacher, that maybe we can just go to other classes and be led and learn from that. But think about it. The number one thing that I hear yoga teachers want is to have an original voice. And if you're only going to other people's classes and you're only practicing being led by someone else, that's a great start and that's a great supplement, but you're never going to develop that original voice and your original approach and a depth to your classes if you don't practice at home. In addition to not having outside accountability and perhaps not fully having a strong motivation towards the home practice, there's also a challenge with the level of reward that we receive from the home practice. The fastest and most powerful functions of our brains are associated with survival. When we're trying to develop a habit, there needs to be some kind of immediate reward, and the most powerful immediate rewards are associated with survival. If you show up at a class and you teach and you get praise from your students, your brain associates that with, oh, I'm going to survive as a yoga teacher. And the lack of getting paid if you don't show up to teach and perhaps getting fired, that is associated, understandably, with danger, a potential that you might not survive. Even though the skills and the mental state that you receive through your home practice it does end up having a direct relationship on your success as a yoga teacher, the connection is not direct enough for that ancient part of your brain to make the connection. It's too much in the forebrain, in the areas of logic and forethought and predicting the future. So I believe that these are the reasons why yoga teachers struggle so much with their home practice. Lack of accountability, lack of motivation, and lack of an immediate survival-related reward. Now that we understand why it's a struggle, we can use some of the recent science around habit formation to help us overcome some of these challenges. There are five basic steps to developing a home practice that sticks. I'll introduce them right now, and then I'll go over them each in more detail. The first is intention second is time, which includes both frequency and duration. The third is trigger, the fourth is reward, and the fifth is accountability. Intention is the seed for that desire for practice. It's about making sure that you're clear about why you want to practice. What's your true motivation? Is it about becoming a better teacher, staying inspired, filling your own cup? managing your mind, you can definitely have more than one intention for your practice. But notice if there are some that you feel like you should have as an intention because it sounds good. And notice if there are some that really resonate for you on an emotional level. Those resonant intentions are going to be much, much, much more effective in helping you establish and maintain your habit. Once you understand your motivation and you've set a clear intention for your practice, you can use that intention to create the right structure so that your practice meets your needs. For example, if you practice for creativity but then feel like you should do the same thing every time you practice, that's not gonna help. Here's some ideas for different ways to structure your practice based on different intentions. If you're looking for creativity, Set a timer, put some music on, and move intuitively for the duration that you decided on. Think of it as brainstorming for movement, meaning that you want to just keep trying new things even when it's not feeling productive or inspired so you can move beyond stuckness and into innovation. If you're looking to fill your cup, consider committing to restorative and meditative practices. If you find that Vigorous practices are nourishing, that's great, but keep your eye on your body for early signs of injury or burnout. Another possibility is to alternate days of a stronger or softer practice. If you want mental benefits, definitely focus on meditation. Even asana can be performed very slowly and mindfully like a moving meditation. If you want to improve your teaching skills, speak what you're doing aloud as you move through your practice. Ask yourself what each shape would feel like in a body that's stiffer or more mobile, bigger or smaller, older or younger. If you have specific physical goals you're working on, then choose a few drills that are challenging but doable and practice them every day. Ultimately, you're most likely going to have more than one goal for your practice So by getting clear on each of them and setting some priorities, you can create a rhythm that works for you. And I also recommend checking in at the beginning of each practice to just see, well, what's really alive for me today? Which of my two or three goals or motivations feel like what I need today? Once you have some clarity on intention, create a plan for time, frequency, and duration. My personal experience is that it is way easier to create a daily habit than a X times per week habit. And this is why many people recommend a shorter daily practice over a longer weekly one. If you practice for a shorter amount of time each day, you're less likely to pass because you have a particularly busy day because it's just five or 10 or 20 or 30 minutes And if you do skip a day, you're only skipping a small portion of your weekly, monthly, yearly lifetime practice. Choose an amount of time that feels really doable and commit to it every single day. This will help the practice become automatic instead of something that you need to think about and expend energy making happen. You can always practice longer if you have more time or you feel more inspired, but Start out with a minimum amount of time that you commit to every single day. Another benefit about having a daily practice is that you can skip a day without needing to go into any kind of a guilt spiral. After all, six out of seven days is pretty darn amazing. Make a promise to yourself that you won't skip two days in a row because that's when you start to lose your momentum. But if you need to skip one day, no big deal. This is how we overcome what some teachers call the second arrow, which is the guilt and the shame around not following through that derails us even more. The next step to creating a habit for home practice is choosing a trigger. The most effective way to build a new habit or to strengthen one is to attach it to something that's already a habit. Rather than planning a time for your practice, do it immediately before or after a habit you already have. For example, if you always brush your teeth in the morning, you could say, immediately after I brush my teeth, when I feel that fresh, minty feeling in my mouth, I know it's practice time. Or if you always drink a cup of tea, your practice could be, as your tea steeps, you start your practice. This has the added benefit of using the T as your reward, which is the next component of habit formation. When we make a conscious choice to do something difficult or out of our routine, this is primarily happening in your forebrain, which is a resource-intensive part of your brain. It will use up some of your decision-making capacity for the day. It can lead to more impulsive decisions later in the day. Some studies have shown that if you use up all of your good judgment early, that a lot of times people will snack more and be a little bit more sedentary later in the day because we only have so many resources to use in this part of our brain. One of the ways habits are so amazing is that they circumvent this very resource-intensive part of the brain, and they use a more automatic part of the brain where conscious thought isn't necessary to trigger a behavior. And this part of your brain is activated, motivated by the promise of immediate rewards. So to be clear, it's not motivated by the promise of some long-term goal being achieved. It's not motivated by some abstract sense that you're doing good in the world or doing good for yourself. You need to experience something viscerally that your brain interprets as being related to your survival or your thriving or pleasure or joy. There's two ways that you can use this knowledge to your advantage and tap into the power of immediate rewards to help you establish a habit. The first is to tap into the intrinsic joy and pleasure of your practice. To notice how you feel after you practice, notice, savor, and memorize the endorphins and the positive feelings that come from your daily practice. The second way to tap into the power of immediate reward is to add an artificial sensory reward, such as snuggling your cat, taking a shower, or drinking a cup of tea like I mentioned earlier. The artificial reward, I think, takes a little bit longer to establish, and it's important to be consistent, but if you add it to the intrinsic natural reward of feeling good after your practice, I think the combination of the two can really be helpful. The final step to establishing your home practice as a habit is to create accountability. You can enlist a fellow teacher, a friend, a family member to check in with you about your practice. You can make it more compelling by paying a fine each time you miss your practice. Okay, I know that is a lot, but think of all of these different steps to establishing your home practice as the investment that you're making to make your home practice effortless. If you put all of these steps into place, I'm confident that anyone can establish a strong and consistent home practice. If you're intrigued by some of the information that I shared about how the brain functions, I hope that you'll check out the books that I mentioned earlier. And please be gentle on yourself in this journey of establishing the practice because it is there to feed you and to help you grow and to help you thrive as a human being and as a yoga teacher Remember that this is not about your virtue or your value as a human being. You are 100% worthy exactly as you are with or without a practice. And I want you to choose a practice because it makes your life more functional, because it makes your brain work better, and it makes your body more at ease, and it makes your classes more amazing. Please be as kind and patient with yourself as you are with your students. That's all for this week. I just want to remind you, in case you're not on my email list yet, that I send out a list of 100 yoga class theme ideas to all the yoga teachers who sign up for my email list. Then I keep sending out amazing bonus content for this podcast and little goodies, articles, resources. So... If you're not yet on the list, I would love for you to sign up at teachingyoga.net slash join. As always, thank you so much for listening all the way through. Thank you for the work that you do as a yoga teacher. And please remember to make time for your personal practice.